the Candid Confidence Podcast. I'm your host, Leah Pardee. I'm a business coach for entrepreneurs and a meditation and mindfulness instructor. I teach you how to give less fucks and own your authentic confidence so you can launch and scale your purposeful online business and change the world. On this podcast, you'll hear from me and amazing guests on mindset, spirituality, and entrepreneurship. Girl, let's do the damn thing. Welcome, welcome everybody to the Canon Confidence Podcast. So glad you're here. I have a super amazing guest today. I have Dr. Marvin Singh, MD. He's an integrative gastroenterologist in San Diego, California, and a member of the board and diplomat of the American Board of Integrative Medicine. Singh is currently the director of integrative gastroenterology at the Susan Samueli Integrative Health Institute at UC Irvine. He's also currently a volunteer assistant clinical professor at UCSD in the Department of Family Medicine and Public Health. He is dedicated to guiding his clients toward optimal wellness every step of the way using the most cutting edge technology to design highly personalized precision-based protocols and help them stay on top of their health rather than underneath disease. Towards this end, he founded Precision Clinic to bring the best in preventive medicine to his clients. Dr. Singh, thank you so much for joining us today. We're so excited to hear your story. Welcome to the show. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. Amazing. So we'd love to hear your story, how you, how you kind of gained this, this more proactive approach that you bring to medicine. Um, we'd love to hear how that came about for you. Well, you know, um, early on in my career, after I finished my training at Scripps Clinic, I went on to become a uh, attending physician at Johns Hopkins. That was my first job out of training. And, uh, not a bad place to be, very, uh, very top level university and um, uh, also very conservative uh, place to practice. And I kind of felt uh, a little lost um, while I was uh, there finishing my first year as, uh, as an attending physician because I thought that we were able to take care of patients who kept coming back over and over again with chronic symptoms. And I felt like you know, is it really me that is having the problem or is it uh, the healthcare system or uh, are we just doing things the wrong way? And that kind of led me down this journey to kind of seek if there was something else missing from, you know, how we take care of patients. And um, ultimately, I, I wound up finding uh, Dr. Weil and the Integrative Medicine Center at the University of Arizona. And um, I started, uh, I joined the fellowship program and I went through the two years of training in integrative medicine. And within the first month, my entire life just really changed. I felt like a breath of fresh air was blown into my body. And I started using some of the principles that I uh, was taught in the fellowship uh, early on within the first you know month and started noticing changes in my own health and body. And I thought I was pretty healthy myself, you know, I'm a doctor, I'm hardworking, running around, but, you know, I, I thought I ate a healthy diet and uh, lived a healthy lifestyle, but um, realized that uh, it, it really wasn't as good as it could have been and um, started noticing that improvement when I started following some of the practices. So um, that made me very passionate about integrative medicine. And here we are today, fast forward many years in the future. <laughs> Amazing. So what were some of those practices that you adopted that you saw improving your health? So um, really nutrition was one of the big ones. So, you know, uh, started eating differently um, and uh, eating more vegetables and fruits. And I always ate vegetables and fruits, but probably not as many as I should have. You know, standard American diet uh, would think that if you had one or two vegetables in a day, that's pretty good. But really, you know, uh, if you really want to make some improvements, you gotta you gotta do a lot more than that. So um, I think I was up to like seven vegetables and fruits a day, uh, perhaps, um, and um, try to push even more than that if I can. Um, and uh, started exercising more, started focusing on sleep, and really the mindfulness-based practice um, was probably what made a big difference for me. I started losing a lot of weight um, uh, early on, but then I felt like I reached a plateau 
um, and in my weight loss. And when I started meditating, uh, it started uh, to uh, the weight started coming off again. So um, it was almost as if it gave me a little bit of a turbo boost uh, towards the end. And uh, I think after about three, four months, I lost over 30 plus pounds. So it made a pretty big difference in my, in my health. Wow. Yeah. I'm a huge proponent of meditation. I think it's absolutely so crucial for our, our physical and mental health. I think that a lot of people understand the mental health benefits, maybe not quite connecting that to, to your physical health. So that's super interesting. Why do you think that in the medical community, these type of things aren't introduced or recommended to, to patients? You know, uh, I think some physicians do talk about these kind of things, but um, I think one of the biggest limitations is time, um, time in the visits. I mean, the, the standard practice, uh, if you, you know, as a physician is, is very limited. As you know, you go see your doctor, how much time do you actually have in the room with them? Um, right. 10 minutes, maybe, you know, maybe it's a 20 minute appointment, but half that 20 minutes is spent uh, with the MA getting your vital signs and asking you a couple questions. And then the doctor comes in, whips in and whips out. And really the only time that there is, is what, what do you need and how can I help you? And, and that's about it. Um, so it's really hard to teach a meditation practice in the middle of that time. You know, you need probably 10 minutes itself just to talk about that. Um, so that's one of the, probably the biggest limitations. And you know, perhaps, uh, perhaps many of us don't acknowledge how impactful that um, this type of thing can have, can be on our health. And so it's not a priority item to discuss during a visit. That's a really good point. Yeah. And I feel like so many people, especially in the United States, maybe aren't super open to, to the holistic side of things. And and briefly mentioning, yeah, you could meditate, you know, really wouldn't have the impact that it would have if you had like 10 minutes to be like, hey, let me explain the benefits, explain how this would work, you know, um, kind of walk them through it, which, which just, you know, really isn't, isn't available in that time slot. So that's, that's actually a really interesting point. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think if everybody meditated, this world would be a different place. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Especially absolutely. these days. <laughs> yeah, right. Interesting. So you so you started to learn these these different approaches. You started to learn that the precision based protocols and about integrative health. Um, give us some examples of times you've made those recommendations with clients or seen. Um, I said clients. I think it's more like patients. <laughs> but what? Yeah. What have you seen? Um, I guess improvements with them versus prescribing the medicine. Do you have any stories about that for us? Yeah, I mean, uh, just uh, while we're on the topic of mindfulness, I guess one of the um, most impactful stories that um, I have from early on uh, was really one where I prescribed nothing. I did nothing. And so this was a young lady who uh, came to see me uh, and she was in a wheelchair probably, I don't know, uh, maybe in her late 20s or so. Um, and uh, she came to see me because she was having problems swallowing. I'm a gastroenterologist. And so that's one of the things that we take care of people who have difficulty swallowing. Um, but uh, to me, one of the things I picked up on is why is she in a wheelchair in the first place? There's nothing on her diagnosis list. Like she wasn't in a car accident. She's not a paraplegic or anything like that. And she's unaccompanied. She's by herself. So she got here by herself too. So, you know, before we started talking about that, um, uh, her symptoms, I said, uh, could you, uh, would you mind clarifying for me why you're in a wheelchair? Uh, do you have some sort of neurologic diagnosis or is there some issue with walking? And she says, no, I can walk. I said, well, then why are you in a wheelchair? She says, oh, well, it's because it's easier for me to get around. So I thought that was kind of a funny thing to say because <laughs> um, most people don't just get around in a wheelchair. Um, and uh, so then I started uh, talking about her swallowing symptoms and, and what, what, you know, she was experiencing and, you know, the proper thing to do would to be to do an endoscopy to see, to make sure there's not a stricture that she doesn't have a condition like eosinophilic esophagitis where people have an allergic issue, they can't swallow, um, you know, uh, to see if there's something going on there. So we planned to do that. But 
um, uh, what I asked her because uh, I thought something was still funny about her. So I sat back for a second and, you know, uh, I took the extra time and I said, Can you tell me a little bit about your childhood. Uh, tell me about your upbringing. Uh, tell me about your parents and how it was like growing up, you know. And she talked to me a little bit about that. And I asked her, well, were you sick a lot when you were a kid? Um, did you have to take antibiotics for, you know, ear infections or strep throat and things like that? And she said, yeah, you know, I, I did get a bunch of, um, uh, there were a bunch of times where I had to take antibiotics. I said, well, how was that experience for you? And she said, well, you know, uh, my parents were really kind of strict. They, they would tell me that if I didn't take my medication, they would cut my throat. And I was like, whoa, um, wow. is there, I said, is there anything uh, possible where it could be that your swallowing issues have anything to do with, with that experience that's been ingrained in your mind about taking medications and, and them cutting your throat as a result of that? Because you're on a few medications here too. And she sat back and she said, uh, I, I don't know, maybe, it, maybe, I don't know. So she never really thought about it or put two and two together. Wow. And, you know, we did her endoscopy. Um, it was normal. Um, and then she came back for a follow-up, no wheelchair and so symptoms totally resolved. And, um, uh, she said, you know, um, I realized after talking to you that a lot of my IBS symptoms, a lot of my swallowing problems were really uh, related to past trauma and stress. And I'm working on that now and I'm feeling much better. She was so happy that she wrote a letter to the chief of medicine at the university that I was at and uh, told him that I, I cured her IBS that she's had for most of her life. So um, I, I, I was really moved by this uh, story myself. And, you know, I was talking with one of my psychiatrist friends um, afterwards and I said, you know, I, I don't know, her swallowing uh, got, <laughs> got much better and she's not using the wheelchair and I didn't really even do anything. And he said, no, you're wrong, but you did do something. You actually spent the time and talked to her and let her talk about what her problems were and you got it out and, and you worked on that. And that was the only medicine that she really needed. And so that really, that really underscored the importance uh, to me of this mind-gut connection and, and how um, stress and trauma can really influence who we are today. Wow, that is, that is a really interesting story. I'm not going to lie, I wasn't expecting anything quite that, that crazy. <laughs> um, it's a little bit of an extreme example because, I mean, it's not like I've seen 100 patients like that, but it is an example that underscores the... Um, the point that uh, there, there is definitely a strong component of our mental health that can influence our physical health. Absolutely. I mean, I've, I've read that it can be as much as 70% of doctor visits, uh, the underlying problem truly is stress. So, yeah. I mean, what, what do you, yeah, like that's, that's amazing. Um, I guess, is that something that you uh, typically recommend then is like people can look at their past traumas um, look at their, their upbringing and, and things like that and, and dig more into their mental health to figure out why they might have some of their current health problems? Yeah, I mean, well, in my practice, that's what I do. Um, so, wow. uh, you know, kind of touching on precision medicine a bit, I know we're going to talk a little bit more about that, but I, I realized, you know, around this time that, you know, wouldn't it be cool if we could um, really look at somebody's inner workings of their body and, and really figure out what's going on inside of them and what we can do for them personally, specifically. And part of that, um, you know, in these experiences, like with this patient, um, was uh, that I felt you really had to spend the time talking to them because talking to them was one of the most important tests you could do. Um, I, I always tell people that the best doctor in the room is actually you. It's not me. It's not somebody else. It's you. Because if you actually spend the time thinking about things and talking through things, you may find answers that you didn't even know you had 
to, to give in the first place because nobody asked you, nobody took the time. And maybe you didn't even take the time to think about these kind of things in that way about yourself. You just kind of took it for granted. So in, in Precision Clinic, the, uh, the practice that I started, um, I, I, I spend 90 minutes talking to somebody the first time. So um, in, my, in my overall comprehensive evaluation. So um, uh, I spend the time and that time is really the first test. So uh, I, I really make a point to, to talk about these things with people. That's awesome. So I, I'm going to guess that there's a lot of people that come to you that maybe are on a lot of medication that maybe they don't need. Is that something that you see often is when people adopt these um, alternative health practices that they're able to ditch some of those, some of those pills? Is that, is that something? Yeah, you know, you kind of see both ways. You know, we call it polypharmacy when somebody's taking too many medications and stuff. Um, you see it in medications. You also see it in supplements because on the other hand, um, people may read about, you know, different things online and come to you on 30 different supplements. You're like, I don't know if you need to take all these 30 things, you know, let's try to figure out what's important for you because sometimes taking too many things can actually... Um, uh, make you sick too. That could be a cause of your symptoms. Your nausea could be because you're taking 20 supplements in the morning. So, you know, um, uh, we work through all that kind of stuff and uh, uh, really try to give, uh, uh, you know, recommendations, uh, whether they be supplements or otherwise, to try to help people sup uh, symptoms um, so that they can maybe reduce the amount of prescription medications they have or try something instead of a prescription medication. Mm, that's amazing. And so the, this precision-based approach is really about targeting the root causes and, and digging a little bit deeper versus kind of just giving something that's going to take care of the surface, the surface um, problems. Yeah, precision medicine is really a game changer in how we define health uh, or what it really means to be, you know, quote unquote, healthy. Instead of using, you know, statistics uh, based on everybody, we now have the technology that we can use to go in and see what's true for you, just you. So that means we can see how healthy you actually are um, and what you could actually use improvement in and make adjustments based on that information. So it's different. Uh, it's more of a proactive um, a way of practicing rather than a reactive. Um, I think it's better to figure out what your risks are for certain things, helping rather than waiting till you actually have the problem. It makes more sense to know that, you know, if I have a risk for heart disease or, or breast cancer, for example, what can I do to try to intervene on that risk um, rather than waiting till I maybe get a heart attack one day? Yeah, I mean, it makes a ton of sense. Um, but like you said, a lot, of, a lot of times when we go to a traditional doctor, there just isn't that time. Do you feel like um, as someone who takes a different approach and is it maybe a little bit controversial in the medical field to recommend these more holistic practices? And if so, I mean, do you ever feel like an outsider in the medical field and, and how do you handle that? Well, you know, um, that's a good question. Um, uh, really, I should uh, remind everybody that integrative medicine is not really, is not homeopathy or, you know, just uh, on the fringe type of medicine. What integrative medicine means is that we're basically using the best of both worlds. You have more tools in your toolbox. And Andrew Weil, who's a pioneer in the field of integrative medicine on the first day of our training, says, uh, says to everybody that integrative medicine is just a label. What it really is, is good medicine. And that's what we're trying to practice. We're really not missing you know, the mark on standard of care. Um, but we're keeping in mind that the people that we are trying to apply this standard of care to are human beings with emotions and feelings and exposures to certain things. And, and if we don't really keep that in mind, we're, we may miss the boat. And so integrative medicine is really um, uh, just a name of a, a way of practicing, but what it really is, is good medicine. And I've found that, um, uh, it's, it's much more impactful to practice in this way. And the reason why a lot of people don't practice in this way is because medical system is really designed to be reactive instead of proactive. And integrative medicine is a little bit more of a proactive approach because we're trying to, you know, look at the whole body and look at um, how uh, 
um, uh, what, what other factors influence health and address those and trying to get at the root cause. And yeah, I mean, uh, it's, it's not really standard care in regular uh, conventional practices because of a lot of the reasons we talked about. And, you know, it really depends on where you go um, uh, and, and how accepted these uh, methodologies may be. But I think uh, it's encouraging that integrative medicine is really growing uh, across the country and more and more people are tuned into it. And um, it's becoming uh, a lot easier and people, uh, other physicians are becoming more interested. You know, um, uh, one of the great examples is the uh, new practice that I, that I started. I have three practices actually. So just in case people are confused, talking about different practices, but one of the new practices I started is at the University of California, Irvine, and I'm the director of integrative gastroenterology there. And um, uh, just a couple of days ago, I gave grand rounds to the uh, Department of Internal Medicine on integrative gastroenterology. And um, I got a ton of emails afterwards telling me how great the presentation was and, you know, how some of these concepts were very interesting to them. And um, uh, that made me very happy because it really um, suggested that people are really looking for uh, understanding regarding some of uh, these concepts to try to make their patients better. And um, uh, UC Irvine may be a little bit of an anomaly because it's a very uh, forward-thinking university that, you know, has set up this Integrative Medicine Institute. But I think this uh, pattern is happening in other places, uh, maybe at a slower pace, but it's happening. So that's, that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Um, I, I've never been to medical school at all, but my understanding is that these, these things are not taught to most medical students. Um, is that true? And, and I'm gonna throw you an off the fringe kind of question here. Do you feel like any of the reason why the mainstream medical community focuses on you know, prescribing things, does that have anything to do with big pharma or is it just what we're used to in the US? So, um, I, you know, I think this big pharma uh, concept with uh, physicians prescribing practices is, is, is a myth. Um, uh, I was trained very conservatively. I still have a regular uh, uh, conventional gastro practice where I do endoscopies and stuff like that. Never in one moment ever do I think about you know, a company when I'm trying to give a medication to somebody and uh, it doesn't influence me. I'm there to help somebody. And if I need to prescribe somebody something, I'm going to prescribe them something that I think is best for them. Uh, in fact, most of the time, I'd say half the time outside of the visits, us doctors spend time fighting with uh, these companies and insurance companies so that you can get these medications. We're, we're your advocates. And so I think, you know, these are just, uh, it's uh, maybe kind of fake news type stuff that uh, people talk about uh, with regards to, well, you're only prescribing this because you're, you're getting money from this company. You know, that, that's not, that's not really true. Yes. Doctors do speak for uh, pharmaceutical companies um, and they may get an honorarium to speak for um, pharmaceutical companies, but um, uh, you know somebody somebody has to do that because we need to sp they need to spread the word about their medication. Um, but uh, there there's no there's no financial incentive to prescribe a medication. That's that there there are actually laws against that too. You know, uh, so it's it's just not something that's done. Okay, well that's certainly good to know. Um, I mean, there, I mean, there's always bad apples in different places, but that's not my experience and not what I've observed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm just curious why why this approach is not what students are taught in medical school, you know, um, but I, maybe it's just because it's kind of one of those things where this is the way we've always done things. And, and like you said, most practices don't allow for the time it would take to dig into someone's childhood wounds or eating patterns or things like that. So that makes that makes sense too. So kind of talking about gut health a little bit, um, I know that you you know are obviously big on that. We could talk about um, Verisana Health Club. What are some concerns the average person should have about their gut health? Well, um, you know, uh, the gut is really the center of your health. Um, many years ago, many, many years ago, Hippocrates said that all disease begins in the gut. Hippocrates was the what we consider the 
the father of modern medicine. And um, he was, he may not have known exactly what he was talking about way back then, because all the science wasn't there, but he was 100% spot on. That's, I guess, why we call him the father, huh? <laughs> but, um, you know, uh, when we say the gut, I guess we can define a few terms. Um, the gut is really our digestive tract, you know, from mouth all the way to the end where we have our bowel movements. Um, but why the gut is so important is because it is the home for the gut microbiome. And the microbiome is really what we call uh, the ecosystem of the trillions and trillions of microbes or bacteria, viruses, fungi that live inside of our digestive tract. It, it sounds, may sound kind of gross, but it's just something you're gonna, we're gonna have to all get over that majority of our cells on our body are actually not human cells. They're, they're microorganisms, whether it's on the outside or the inside of our body. Um, and they really control a lot of our functions in our body. Um, 70%, uh, 70, 80% of our immune system is located in the gut. And so it's a really formidable force. And so when we talk about gut health, we're talking about really microbiome health, what we can do to make our microbiome healthy, what we can do to cultivate a diverse and, and strong or resilient microbiome. Because if we do that, then our, our downstream effects of uh, our health in many other uh, ways uh, is improved. And so um, uh, that's often what I talk about as a gastroenterologist. And it's fun because um, we can, uh, you know, uh, I never thought that as a, a gastroenterologist, I'd be talking to people about heart disease and diabetes and helping them with that. But if you, if you uh, really do practice uh, proper gut health, you should be helping people in that regards as well, because gut health is whole health. It's the same thing to me. And, um, you know, precision medicine is uh, really the, the way to keep on track of things so that you make sure that you understand what your risks are for certain things before you actually have a problem. And there are very easy ways, such as with this Verisana health plan that um, really allow you to do this very seamlessly. Um, for example, uh, with this health plan that Verisana has, um, every month you're gonna get a, a kit in the mail. It's almost like, you know, people have the, uh, wine of the month club uh, where you get a, a, a different bottle of wine in the in the mail and you don't have to think about it you can give it to somebody as a gift so this is actually a similar kind of concept that's why club is really a, a good way of describing it and every month you're going to get a test in the mail and you just do it and you send it back and uh, it, over the course of the year so you'll you know, get 12 of these over the course of the year and you'll be looking at your vitamin levels your hormone levels things related to your metabolism it'll be gut tests in there as well to check on your gut health a couple times during the year and really this is an easy way to um, really focus on yourself without having to think too much about it um, uh, often you know you go to the a doctor's office for your annual physical and they may order some labs, right? Um, uh, I don't know how many people actually do the labs right away on the spot. Uh, I know that I may not necessarily be the best patient because I'm a doctor, I guess, but um, a lot of people aren't probably the best patients either. Um, and I've gone months uh, without doing these uh, tests uh, that the doctor gave me to do just to check your cholesterol and your vitamin D level and things like that, basic stuff. And uh, then it gets to the point where it's like, you know, maybe six months have passed and then you're embarrassed to even do it because you're like, I'm going to do the test now. And the doctor's going to say, well, where'd you go for the last six months? You're just doing it now. I wanted it six months ago. So then you don't even do it at all. And then you go back next year and you make up some excuse as to why you didn't do it in the first place. So, you know, that's not good for you. Um, uh, that's not good for anything. This way, you don't have to go anywhere to go to the lab, especially during these COVID days. Um, it's, uh, you know, it can be concerning to people to want to go to the lab in public and get your blood drawn. Um, so this is one way, you know, these kits come to you in the mail. Um, you do them at home, you mail them in and you get your results. And it's, it's not a replacement uh, for a physician, but it's actually one way that you can kind of keep on top of your health and screen yourself for certain things. And if you have an abnormal result, now you have the opportunity to have a meaningful conversation with your doctor 
about something in particular, whereas you wouldn't have had the opportunity to even have that conversation if you didn't do this kind of stuff. Mm, that's awesome. So yeah, so it sounds like this um, Barisana Health Club makes it kind of easy to do this at home. Um, how can people kind of like get connected with this if anyone's interested? Yeah, I mean, I think they have a website. Uh, you can go to verisana.com and, and uh, take a look. Uh, it's a pretty easy, um, uh, user-friendly website. And I think you can sign up straight up on the uh, website. Awesome. I'm going to definitely link that in the show notes. So guys, you can check that out. Um, so when you're speaking about, about gut health and like microbiome and, and how this is really like the center of everything and why we need to keep this so so um some so healthy so what are some of the things that you would recommend for people to to start to heal their gut or make sure that they're eating the right foods or um any recommendations there yeah so um uh what's fascinating about the microbiome is that um you don't necessarily need some fancy medications or supplements to make an improvement there are things that you can do that are non-medicinal or non-supplement um interventions and um, I became really fascinated with this topic of lifestyle medicine and how it impacts the microbiome very early on. I actually um, wrote a couple of book chapters uh, on this topic. And um, uh, so, you know, some of the main things we can do is look at our diet and our nutrition, um, look at what kind of foods we're eating, uh, making sure we're not eating processed packaged foods, uh, looking at the labels, because that takes us to the next topic of toxins. Um, uh, so one of the first book chapters I wrote was how environmental and food chemicals, uh, uh, environmental toxins and food chemicals can impact our microbiome. So when we're exposed to these chemicals in our diet um, uh, and from our environment, they can actually cause shifts in our microbiome that can cause inflammation as well. So looking at that, you know, eating uh, um, organic, uh, non-GMO foods, uh, using the Environmental Working Group's website as a kind of guide to help you understand what foods are best uh, or not in, in that particular year, um, and looking at what um, you know, beauty products and, and things like that are safest and have good ratings is also very helpful. Looking at your sleep. Um, how much you sleep can really be impactful, um, uh, interruptions in, in sleep and um, alterations in your circadian rhythms can actually influence the composition of your microbiome, uh, interestingly enough. So some of the changes that can happen in your microbiome when you're not sleeping well are the same kind of changes that can happen when you are um, uh, overweight, overweight and um, not eating well and have metabolic dysfunction, we say. We know that those people who exercise have a more diverse microbiome. Athletes have a better composition of their microbiome as well. And so we want to really make sure we do something you know, active on a regular basis. I usually tell people like 150 minutes a, a week. So you know, that's, you know, if you just do Monday through Friday, that's 30 minutes a day. It's not, not terrible. It not, not, doesn't take up too much of your time. And then stress, stress reduction is very important. We talked about that earlier. Um, and, you know, we know we talked that there's a mind gut connection and um, uh, what this means is that stress can actually change the composition of your microbiome. And actually your microbiome can influence how you feel and how we think and, and our sensations and even how much pain we, uh, we feel we're exposed to. So um, it's a very, uh, very strong force, uh, the microbiome with regards to that as well. Um, situational stress can cause shifts in the microbiome and um, that can actually cause chemicals to be released from uh, the gut, uh, which can influence your mood. So it's a very uh, interwoven process there. And uh, the last uh, thing is your social interconnectedness. So um, having fun, enjoying life, uh, hanging out with friends and family, um, uh, that actually has a positive impact on your microbiome as well. We know that people who live in lower uh, 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 social cohesive neighborhoods, meaning that there's not as much trust, there's not as much uh, neighborly friend, uh, neighborhood friendliness going on in the uh, environment, they tend to have less diverse microbiomes. Um, um, it's very interesting. And there's a lot of uh, data in other uh, arenas as far as you know, longevity and um, heart disease and things like that with regards to your social interconnectedness and um, uh, how healthy you may be. So these are, um, I guess, about six different things we talked about here that are 
um, great medicines for gut health to keep good gut balance that really don't require any expense really other than the food because uh, you know you got to eat you got to buy the food but uh, you got to eat anyway so it's, it's really not a new expense and so i often use these as kind of a um the 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 basics of getting started in understanding what to do for your gut and and how to optimize your gut health wow okay so i'm a i'm a huge believer in, in everything that you mentioned um all, all six of those categories of life um, of, of lifestyle ways of being, I really feel are also super beneficial for, for mindset, for our happiness, and obviously for our health. So super, super important things. What I feel like listeners might be thinking in their heads though, um, is what about time? And you, you are someone with an incredible career. You know, you, you have a lot of things going on. You have several practices. You're, you know, obviously on speaking engagements, you're writing chapters for books. You have a lot going on. How do you um, kind of manage your sleep patterns, taking the time to exercise, um, taking the time for fun and, and friends and family? How do you manage all of that being a super busy doctor who's also, you know, in the media and doing all of these things? Yeah, well, it would be nice if we could make the day 30 hours long instead of 24 <laughs> hours long or have an eighth day of the week, but that's never going to happen. Um, so, you know, uh, you really got to make it a priority. Um, you know, uh, have a hard cutoff uh, when it comes to working, you know, uh, if uh, even if I'm in the middle of something, I find a place to, you know, uh, have a, a, a good place to stop and I pick it up the next day. You got to make sure that you sleep because if you don't sleep today, tomorrow's going to be harder. And a lot of other things tomorrow are also going to be harder. You know, um, it may be harder for you to fight food cravings. It may be harder for you to concentrate. It may be harder for you to want to exercise the next day because you're tired from the day before. So the body is really interlinked with a lot of its functions. And so uh, one thing gets off, many other things uh, get off. And so I learned that early on that, you know, um, uh, it's this concept that if, if uh, just like health can snowball out of control, um, it can also snowball into control. And, and by doing some of these things as best as you can, uh, most of the time, um, you can get your health to snowball into control. So you really just got to make some time, make the priority to do that. Um, wake up early enough. Uh, you know, it doesn't mean too much earlier, but even 20 minutes earlier, extra time gives you some time to do a, a meditation practice or, or some breath work before you get started. Um, uh, I'm not much of a morning person for exercise. Uh, I usually do that in the evening um, uh, or later in the afternoon. Um, everybody's different. Uh, everybody has different opinions. And my opinion is that movement period is important. So it matters to me less like, oh, well, you need to do it in the morning, so you shouldn't be doing it in the evening. I mean, you should be do doing it, period. Otherwise, it's, it's better than not doing it at all. So, you know, so I find some time in the day and exercise is a good way to kind of break up your routine, especially these days in, in COVID where we're sitting around behind a computer in front of a video camera most of the time. So <laughs> yeah. it's good to get up and move your legs a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm impressed that you find the time to, to balance your life so well. Um, I'm a big believer that, yeah, you may have to just prioritize these things. I think everyone has the same 24 hours in a day. And typically when we are saying we don't have time, often that's really, you know, ego talk, our, our um, comfort zone kind of saying to stay here, we don't have to do this. Right. So I'm a big believer that we all can make these things a priority. And when we do, everything shifts, shifts into place. And, and once you establish these, these routines of, let's say, meditating for 10 minutes a day, you know, it, it's, it tends to get easier over time and not feel so cumbersome. So I, I love your perspective on, on that balance. Thank you. Thank you. It, uh, you know, and the one thing to tell everybody is that you're not going to be able to do all this if you're thinking about how am I going to optimize my health? How am I going to get healthier? You're not going to be able to do all this at one time in the beginning. It would be unrealistic to think that that was going to be the case. And I didn't do all of these at one time. Uh, I didn't like drastically make a 360 change in my health and all of a sudden, poof, I'm, I'm better. It takes time. And there is no rush because this is your lifestyle. This is your life. This is not a, you know, 
seven day detox program or a get healthy program. Those, those are bogus, I think, because they really imply a beginning and the end. And, and unless you're planning on dying after the seven day detox, uh, it's, it's going to be worthless. You want something that's flexible, sustainable. You want to continually monitor your health. Um, and really, um, uh, that's, that's the way to go. And don't really put any pressure on yourself to, you know, make all these changes in a week, just say, I'm going to make one change a week. And really that sounds, doesn't sound like a lot. I mean, your one change a week could be, well, I'm going to eat blueberries, uh, instead of, um, chocolate, uh, for my dessert uh, in the evenings now. Um, you know, so that's great. That's your one change of the week. If you add them up over the course of the year, you've made 52 changes in a year and reflecting back on that 52 changes in a year is a lot of changes in a year. And, uh, what will happen is that you may set the target to have one change per week. Um, but what happens, uh, what I would anticipate would happen is what happened with me is that you, you set that as your goal, but as you go along uh, several months down the line, you find that it's easier and easier to make other changes. And so you may end up making three or four changes in a week, whether you meant to or not. And it's just really an additive effect. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. I, I really think one of the biggest reasons why people give up so quickly on a meditation practice or an exercise you know, routine is because we, we kind of have this like paradigm where we think, we think in terms of a diet, like you said, a beginning and the end, we want to lose 10 pounds this month and it has to happen or we give up. We want to go to the gym every single day. And if we miss the third day, well, I'll have to wait till next Monday to start again, right? We put a lot of pressure on ourselves for immediate results. And, and when we create all of that, it's just like, it's, it's not very sustainable. So I love your, your idea there of doing one, one change a week and allowing it to come more naturally. And it makes it a lot more um, realistic to sustain. Yeah. What happens when you lose, I mean, you can lose 10 pounds in a week, uh, but imagine what you'd have to do to lose 10 pounds in a week. It's going to be something very aggressive and you might get your outcome, but I always remind people, and this is why it's nice to follow your health by doing, you know, regular testing at regular intervals so you can actually see how your body responds to different things. Um, but uh, always ask yourself, what is happening inside of my body when I'm doing X, Y, or Z? And what you might find is, uh, what's the truth, is that when you're losing 10 pounds in a week, um, there are alarm bells going off in your body and your body is saying, what in the world is going on? Why is this happening? This must be bad because something is happening. Yeah, I'm either in the starvation state or, you know, uh, you know, this is, this is an extreme, right? So that's why these extreme diets are also not really beneficial in the long run. I don't think because it's putting too much stress on your microbiome and, and your gene expression and everything else. So, um, uh, you may lose the weight, but then what often happens with these, these quick, you know, weight loss programs, you often gain the weight back because after your wedding or whatever party you had to go to, to lose that weight, um, you're not continuing that program because it's not sustainable. And then you gain the weight back. And then, you know, six months later, you want to try to lose the weight again, but that original plan doesn't really work out as well because the body adapted. The body said, well, when this happened, we lost a lot of weight and that is bad. So we're going to try to make that harder to happen the next time because we want to protect you. The body wants you to be well. So you got to kind of keep that in mind. If you do things um, naturally in a more sustainable way, and continually monitor your um, health along the way to know how your body responds to things because everybody responds differently, then you can really personalize your health and really do what's best for you. And that's what this whole precision medicine, precisionomics approach is um, to, to your health. Yeah, it just makes so much sense. I think that we've just got to like recognize that the instant gratification society that we're accustomed to it's just not, it's, it's not the best. And especially when it comes to your health, the, the real, you know, we want the health over the course of our life to improve. You know, we don't want to just have a quick fix or it has to happen right now. It doesn't have to all happen right now. We can have incremental increases in, in the way our body, you know, treats us. And, and that's really the, the most important thing. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so a question that I wanted to ask you as well. I mean, you're obviously someone who is very invested in, in learning and um, I'm, I'm so fascinated by you and, and everything that you've spoken about. What are you learning right now? Uh, well, you know, um, I'm, uh, I am, uh, in order to be really on top of um, precision medicine and, and everything, I am always learning, continually learning. It's one of the lessons an old doctor taught me when I was in training, never stop reading, never stop learning. So I read about all kinds of stuff, whether it's quantum theory or something that I have no clue about, uh, or whether it's, uh, you know, another nutritional approach or about your genes and your microbiome. And um, so I really try to stay on top of things. I really try to stay on top of, you know, different kinds of new tests that are coming out that are, you know, cutting edge um, uh, science and technology so that I can use them um, in, in my practice. And um, really, we're learning a lot these days about uh, different associations with the microbiome and other problems that people can have in their health and really underscoring the importance of um, uh, gut health in overall health. There's a lot of science and research that's coming out on a weekly basis uh, talking about different associations. Um, now, one of the newer topics is, is oral health and the oral microbiome. And we're learning that what's going on in your mouth is very important, what happens in your gut, which can also influence other problems like autoimmune disease or even cancers. There was a study uh, a few months ago that came out uh, they were looking at the microbiomes of those individuals who were younger in age um, who had colon cancer. And they found that there was a certain microbe, a certain bacteria that was present um, in that environment uh, consistently. And that was um, uh, uh, an oral microbe. So it comes from the mouth. So um, it's fascinating to learn about some of these uh, new associations that uh, we're making in science and really kind of underscores that you have to really look at many different parts of your health in order to optimize it. It's not just like look at the gut and that's it, or look at your genes and that's it, or look at your cholesterol and that's it. You got to look at all of these things um, because uh, the whole body is like, is like an orchestra with many different types of uh, musical instruments. And if you want the if you want the uh, music to sound good, you have to make sure that you, the conductor, knows how to uh, control and monitor all of those different musicians. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm, I'm so into learning myself as well, and, and I love that. Um, that's a really great analogy, too, about the orchestra. It makes so much sense that it all has to work together um, to produce something beautiful, right? Um, exactly. So I also ask every, this is my last question. I ask this to everyone. What's your favorite book? Um, if you have one, it can be anything from like mindset, personal development, or if you have one that could help us learn more about this integrative health, maybe from like a practical approach for the average person to learn about gut health. What do you, what do you recommend for us? My favorite book is going to be the book that I am writing that's going to be out soon called Own Your Health, which really teaches everybody about this whole approach. Um, but uh, outside of that, you know, I read books all the time. Um, the One of the most recent books that I uh, finished uh, reading uh, is by one of my favorite mindfulness teachers, uh, Dr. Shauna Shapiro. And she wrote a book called Good Morning, I Love You. I don't know if you've uh, heard of that one or, or read it yet, but I, I, I highly suggest it. Um, it is a very easy to read book that really teaches you about um, how to, um, you know, use mindfulness practice to, to help yourself. And so that, that's, that's one of the latest books that uh, I really enjoyed. And I enjoy her writings and I uh, enjoyed um, uh, Dr. Dan Siegel's writings as well about mind and, and uh, uh, mindsight. Uh, they, they really influenced my uh, practice a lot and helping to understand how people think and, and how um, you know uh, important our mind can be in playing a role in our overall health. And so I often share those books with a lot of people because they, they helped me too. Awesome, totally adding that one to my list as well as gonna totally be on the lookout for your book. When does it come out? Um, hopefully uh, either end of the year or beginning of uh, the next year. So sometime soon. Great. And so 
I'm sure everyone wants to follow along with you, wants to be on the lookout for your book. Can How can we follow you? How can we read your blog? I, I love your blog as well. Tell us how we can find you and learn more about you and stay on top of things. Yeah, great. Uh, my uh, social media handle is at Dr. Marvin Singh. So D-R-M-A-R-V-I-N-S-I-N-G-H. And our website is uh, precisionclinic.com. It's precision with an E. So P-R-E-C-I-S-I-O-N-E clinic.com. And uh, that's a great way to kind of uh, keep in touch with us. Awesome. We're going to follow you. We're going to um, keep it out for your book. So excited. And everyone check out Verisana Health Club as well. That will be linked. I'll also link your socials so people can follow along. Thank you so much for your time today, Dr. Singh. This was incredible. I know everyone learned so much today and is very, very inspired to take control of their health um, with your approaches. So thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It was fun.